In Lone Wolves the Wicked, you belted out die alone. Was that a choice? Was that natural? Until recently, I didn't know it was a thing. Somebody, a friend of mine sent me a clip of somebody in the US actually talking about it and doing a bit of a vocal coaching session of how to do it. And I was like, this is nuts. And then that that Louise Dearman challenge, the Glinda challenge came out. Hello and welcome to In The Frame. Today's guest is the one and only legendary Louise Dearman, who is one of the West End's biggest stars. Louise has been in so many shows over the years. She is, of course, so well known for having played both Alphaba and Glinda in the West End production of Wicked. She made her theatrical debut as the narrator in the UK tour of Joseph and went on to appear in shows like Whistle Down the Wind, Grease, Jekyll and Hyde, where she played Lucy. Uh, She originally covered both Miss Adelaide and Sarah Brown in Guys and Dolls and went on to play both roles full-time as the lead in her career. Uh, She was Ava Perron in the UK tour of Evita, Grizabella in Cat. She's starred in Tell Me on a Sunday and done The Water Babies at Leicester Curve. Uh, She was Bianca in Kiss Me Kate at the Royal Level Hall and starred as Daisy in the UK premiere of Sideshow at the Southwark Playhouse. Louise has released albums and she has the most incredible concert career. She's always travelling all over the UK and all over the world to do all sorts of, of concerts and incredible shows. Louise is currently gearing up to star in Mima the Musical, which is being staged at Cadogan Hall on Monday the 28th of February. It was so great to chat to Louise all about her career. Uh, We also spoke all about Mima, which is super exciting. And we actually recorded this on a big weekend for Wicked. It was just after Laura Pick and Sophie Evans had played their final performance and Lucy Jones and Helen Wolfe were about to play their first performance. So we got a bit nostalgic. We spoke about Wicked. And um, if you, like me, are a wicked, super crazy fan, you will know that everybody is obsessed with one thing that Louise did during her time as Glinda. There was this line in the opening number uh, where Glinda sings Die Alone, and it's a beautiful soprano song, uh, but Louise always belted it out. And uh, people became obsessed with it. And recently, there has been on TikTok the Die Alone Challenge, which Louise took part in herself. So to give you some context, before we get started, I wanted to play you what Louise uploaded on her TikTok. Um, And then you will hear us chatting all about it in the episode. Have a listen to this. And good Here we go. Goodness knows the wicked die alone. It just shows when you're wicked. Stunning, right? Incredible. Louise is the best. We had so much fun recording this. Here's the interview. Louise Dearman, you're in the frame. Yes, I am. Hello. You look fresh and ready this morning to do this. Oh, it's all the beauty products and a little bit of makeup. 
You should have seen me 20 minutes ago. <laughs> and here's me like gusting down toast. Like, there's no tomorrow. I'm like this. <laughs> <laughs> Paint the picture. Because are you in like, have you got a little kind of cute home recording hustling area? How does I, it work for you? This is my bedroom and behind, I have to position it. So obviously you just don't see my bed in the background. But I look like I'm in a little Harry Potter cupboard under the stairs. But there's my wardrobe. But it's, I'll tell you why I'm up here. I have two little dogs the tiniest dogs who make the biggest sound. So it's the quietest place because we're right at the top in the loft. So, But I imagine that over these last couple of years, you've done things in your bedroom that you never thought you would be doing in your bedroom, right? <laughs> yes. Way more exciting things. <laughs> and I've got, like, all the gear. Well, yes! I'm actually using it today. But I, um, yeah, I, I never thought I would be that person who would... Learn. I mean, my, my dear friend Lois has taught me so much about recording and, and garage band and microphones and all sorts. I mean, I was singing into the back of my microphone for a good week before we realised. Um, but now I really, I really enjoy it. And I don't fear when I get a something sent through, could, could you record this song or could you record this voiceover demo? I don't freak out anymore. Because I've got all the tech and I know what I'm doing. Mm. And I guess for you as well, because you like you, you've like moved a little bit further away from London, right? And obviously you're a mom, so it means that there are some things like this right now that means you don't need to leave the house and have a day away, and you can yeah. do things from from home, which is incredible. It, it is, and do you know what? It does take the pressure off, and it make I think I mean you'll probably admit it makes life easier for you too. I mean, it's there's nothing that beats being in the room with somebody to do an interview, of course. But when you've got lots of things going on, to know that you're just sat down and you could just, you know, get this done and enjoy it and relax and you don't have that. Yeah, because I moved to Brighton two years ago. And so the travel time each side, you know, takes up a lot of time. So it is lovely to just be able to to do this and it be much more flexible. Was that move when you moved away? Was that a big decision? Or was that like the easiest decision you ever made? Um, at the time. So we lived in a, a very small village in Bedford um, with not much going on, just one shop, one pub. It was beautiful, but worlds apart from London or, or Brighton. And uh, my partner's TV production company moved down to Brighton. And he was commuting for a time, about eight months, and that was a, a hell of a commute. And so we just had the discussion and said, you know, there's nothing really tying us here. I mean, yes, my family were only half an hour away, now they're two hours, but I feel like you make the effort and you actually end up spending more time with them because when you do, it's a bit of a lump, you know, a, a nice long mm. period rather than the odd afternoon. Um, and I have to say within, I was really apprehensive about it. I was really nervous because it was a big change. But within days, I knew it was the best decision. It's a brilliant, diverse wonderful vibrant city and the fact we can walk down to the beach in half an hour and you've got all these little pockets in Brighton so I'm selling Brighton right now aren't I <laughs> moving it <laughs> Louise Damon the ambassador of Brighton. <laughs> of Brighton but it's just you've got all these different pockets and I just love the fact that anything goes it just feels that way um and a great place to bring up children as well so I do love it I'm very happy here and it's not a million miles away like you can pop on that train and come into bridge. it's all good people think I'm going to say two hours on the train but it's just really not it's easy it's good so tell me about I mean you're a hustler like we said there's always a hundred things going on but we're here to talk about Mimmer yes. the musical what 
what kind of brought you to this? How did you get involved and why did you say yes, please? Well, do you, do you know, it's not like I get offered tons and tons of stuff. I don't mean it that way, but very often... <laughs> You're like, job, I great. Mean, sit here and it's just constant. No, it's definitely not. But you do get lots of availability checks for new work. And there comes a point when you have to really... You can't just say yes to anything. It's not physically possible. And also juggling work and life balance, etc. So you have to really pick and choose. And this came along and it was kind of one of those conversations with my agent. Oh, this new show, is they're doing a showcase? I was like, oh, okay, you know, I'll look at it. Um, and then I found out about, I discovered who the team were. And uh, Richard Bolcom, who is the conductor of MIMA, um, and has done some of the orchestrations, I believe. I hope I've not got that wrong. Um, he, yeah, he has for, with the BBC Concert Orchestra. He, I knew he was involved. And the second he said he was involved, and then I discovered Luke Fredericks was going to be the director, it starts to make you go, oh, and you sort of, your ears prick up and you think, this sounds interesting. And they sent me the script and I listened to the music, I listened to the score, and it's just really exciting and interesting. And also you don't get the opportunity when you do a showcase or a workshop of a new musical, very often it's in a, a little room, you sit around a table, you read through, you kind of change bits and pieces and get creative with it. And then maybe you do a showcase at the end in that little room. This is at the Cadogan Hall with a 50 piece plus orchestra, the BBC Concert Orchestra, with Richard Bolcom leading and the most amazing cast and you don't get to do that with new work. And even though there has been an Australian production, it still feels fresh. I know that there have been changes um, to the show since that production. And so you still feel like you have some creative input, which always excites me. But also the interesting thing is the music for me. So it got me right on a roll now because it kind of seamlessly flows from this, you know, your beautiful uh, musical theatre legit melodies that are very catchy um into italian arias sung by Celinda, who is playing mima and then there's these little accents of jazz that my character sarah brings because she wants to be a singer a professional singer that is her dream and so you've got they kind of seamlessly flow from one to the other which i think is really exciting um and essentially it's the story of uh mima leaving Mussolini's Italy, um, yeah. where her family still are, and meeting Sarah, uh, who's a Londoner, wants to be a singer, and their unlikely but wonderful friendship that they form amongst the chaos and heartache and devastation of war. And I love stories like that, where the kind of, the, the thing that's on a huge scale you kind of zoom in and focus on what's happening underneath all of that and the, yeah. the real life stories that are going on. So all of that make for a very interesting and moving show, I think. Mm. So that's oh what goodness. drew me to it. <laughs> <laughs> what are you like when you get something through, like you get the script and the music, are you someone who kind of sits down and says, like, I need to learn this immediately now? Are you like rocking up to first day rehearsals like fresh faced and ready to learn then I'm somewhere in the middle we definitely have had to focus on music um for the past month or so and I have a rehearsal next week before we start our official rehearsals because we want to be on top of things musically um but I don't like to sit and learn things so much 
that I'm I've kind of set it in my head before I walked in the rehearsal room. And I learn things easier when they're on their feet and you've had a chat with the director. It all comes much more naturally. So I'm somewhere in the middle. I'm not going to sit and learn everything word for word before we even begin. But I'll have a really good idea of what it's going to be. Mm. But um, I do like leaving things to the last minute. I think I work well under pressure. Should we say <laughs> well, I'm that? that person. Like, if Even like editing a podcast, I could be like, oh, yeah, this is out in a month. I'll just edit a bit and I'll do it really slowly but if it's out in two hours at at 10pm I will do it in half an hour I'll always find something else to do but I'm very good at scheduling time I'm very good at saying like today at this time you are doing two hours of music and you will sit your backside down and you will not move until you've gone over and over and over this certain section I'm good at scheduling stuff in but um sometimes I think how did you learn that you were flying by the seat of your pants (laughs) Hi, I'm Marcus Mazel, host of Past Present Feature, a filmmaker appreciation podcast showcasing new festival releases and the past films that inspired them. As a filmmaker myself, I started this podcast with the intention of building community while talking shop and to show love to past cinema that sparked a new wave of filmmakers to create the films of the future. Please like and subscribe to this podcast and follow us on social media at Past Present Feature. Thank you for listening. Let's roll it. But I think that fusion of musical style in the show sounds really exciting, because especially from a new musical. Because, you know, you, you're someone who has this, you have, there's so many different things vocally you can do, you know, you've shown us over the years, and your soprano and your belt and, and pop and all different things. And sometimes I feel like in new writing, it's all about the bell and all about high house, how, how high, sorry, someone can bell, which is so exciting. But I think, you know, like Bridges, Madison County, to hear Kelly O'Hara singing soprano bit in a more contemporary way mm-hmm. that Jason Robert Brown's score is, is genius and that's what I want more of and you're, I guess you're someone who must be like sometimes oh I would love if I could use this side of my voice in a new exciting way yeah I think there's a place for all of those things of course there of course there is but sometimes sometimes it can just become noise you know when it's how high can you sing how many vocal acrobatics can you do it can you can lose the truth. That sounds really cheesy. But and listen, I love to riff more, you know, than the next person, as much as the next person, but there's a place for it. And I often, when I speak to students that I work with, just say, that's fine, but why are you doing that? Like, it, it has to have a bit of a meaning, unless it's a pop song, and it's just, hey, I'm just doing that for the sheer hell of it. But what you never want is for something to just become noise. It's got to have some some meaning behind it some truth if something is a a war cry it has to be a war cry not mariah entering your body and i listen i love mariah i was obsessed when i was younger entering your body and riffing all over it it's just yeah for me it's impressive of course it is and like i say in, in the right place the right time it's i absolutely love it but it it just sucks me away from the story and the role if there's too much of that um, but yeah, I do love, you know, and that's what I always wanted to do, play different roles, sing different styles. I never, I remember speaking to my agent who's been my agent for over 20 years. I remember when we started to kind of really break through and get a few roles and I made a conscious decision not to just stick with the, do another comedy role after I just played two. And I said, no, I need to be brave and not take this. I want to do something 
epic, big, belty. I want to sing all the ballads. And then I got Jekyll and Hyde. So you have to kind of, if you really want that, you have to push for it. Otherwise, you end up singing in the same kind of style throughout your whole career, mm. which is not for me. But it's amazing that you've been able to do that. I think a lot of people... I mean, actually, Slinda's a really good example because she's someone else who has yeah. done it and can do everything as jumping from belting out I Dreamed a Dream to singing on um, Christine, like, yeah. you know, totally different. But I mean, let, but people love to put you in a box, right? And love yeah. to be like, oh, Louise, like, or some people also find that people don't know what to do with them when they can do different things. It's like, oh, well, that's scary. I think lots of, lots of us can. We just need to, it's just what your, your preference is really. And if you just love singing in a kind of poppy belt, way then that is what you're going to veer towards but to open up more doors and be given more opportunities and and really challenge and test yourself I believe everybody can you know I was forced to go to opera class at college I really didn't want to go I was like this is not for me I don't sing soprano and my teacher at the time Nigel Brooks um just said I want you to come because I want you to just learn it I think it would be really useful for you a useful tool and my god was he right because it just gave me the confidence to use that side of my voice and it's not only you know opened up those doors and and given me roles that I probably had I not worked on that that area of my voice been given but it just it saved and protected my voice over the years um to be able to manipulate my voice around those notes and not Hmm. exhaust it I we I think we need um a British Madison County Louise Demon production. <laughs> All right, then. That's <laughs> you and like Oliver Thompson. We could oh. just make magic happen, right? Oh, that would be amazing. I'd be up for that. I'm there. <laughs> well, I often ask people kind of like what they were like when they were at drama school and what their like ambition and dream was back then and how that has kind of changed. But I was just edit- I was actually just editing a podcast with someone, um, Elsa Davidson, who's currently Veronica and Heather's. And she was saying that when she was at drama school, she was like this golden child, like everyone, all her teachers telling her she was going to fly and do these incredible things. And then actually she graduated and at first she didn't. And that mm. made it really hard. And I know, I've, I feel like I've done an interview with you and Carrie years ago and you were both, Carrie Ellis obviously, and you were both kind of the golden child of Lades, right? And you were sharing all these massive roles and there must have been like a lot of hype. But I wonder like how you dealt with that and I mean you did jump straight into work but if like you were so ambitious and there was no ounce of you that was like no this isn't gonna happen or were you terrified or like who was Louise back then what was the mindset I I'm I've always been a real people pleaser so I've always worked hard right through school and college I've just wanted to do it for me of course but also you know, to, to please my teachers, if you like. Um, and yeah, you're right. When we were at college, we were, Kerry and I were both given all the big singing roles and everything and the big solo, uh, solo numbers in the summer shows. Um, I've never, which is ridiculous to be in this profession and say this, but I've never been a very competitive person and I am, I am driven, but not in an aggressive way. I'm not like, I've got to get this, I've got to get there, I'm going to do this. I've just never been like that. I'm I'm a bit too chilled. I'm very much like my dad in that sense. So I've always, I always wanted it. But I think I was, you know, when I was training, I just thought I would love to play lead roles, but really I would just love to be in shows. It didn't matter to me. It wasn't, I wasn't thinking I, you know, I have to be playing the lead in everything. It, that wasn't it. It was just, I would love that, but let's see what happens. Let's just see what how it goes. Um, 
so yeah, that was that was me, and I was very lucky. And like you said, when you're put under that pressure of teachers saying you're going to fly, you're going to go straight into all those roles. You know, I left college on the Friday. I started rehearsals for Joseph on the Monday. I was bang straight into it. But then when that show finished, I had quite a long spell of nothing. I just couldn't get anything, which was horrible, really. Um, and just feeling like you're auditioning and not getting anywhere. And then you panic that you're never going to work again. And and then things just slowly built up. And my career has been a real slow, steady climb. You know, I didn't get massive West End roles immediately. I did a lot of touring. I played a lot of smaller roles in big shows, big roles in small shows. I've done understudy. I've been a swing I've grafted and I've kind of, um, I think, earned my place to get to that point where you're a lead role. And I say it all the time to students, please don't be in a rush. It's not, because where do you go from there? If you leave mm. college and you get Alphaba, where do you go from there? Because there's only so far, you're not just going to jump from show to show to show. Uh, it's just much better to kind of learn your craft and just work your way up and just take you know relax on it a little bit and just don't be don't worry about the time it takes to get there it's actually more satisfying I think but yeah it was always a dream and a passion but I wasn't going to be pushing anyone down any stairs to get a role <laughs> sorry Kerry <laughs> sorry love this one's mine you took the last pen <laughs> <laughs> but I think it says a lot about like you because obviously you jumped into narrator like massive leading role and singing your face off <laughs> so then to go and and then to cover or to play smaller roles or to swing after that, some people would feel like that wouldn't be the right thing for them to yeah. do. But, you know, obviously that has served you so well and you ended up taking over roles in some of those shows and yeah. it led to other things. So it it, it goes to show that sometimes... Uh, that it is, works out. Is... And I think you have to look at the bigger picture. I mean, a big one for me was when I auditioned for the Donmar Warehouse production of Guys and Dolls at the Piccadilly. And I remember my agent calling. And by that point, I'd done, you know, quite a few leading roles. And he said it's, you know, they have a big uh, leading cast that they've already cast. Um, and so it would be for understudy and ensemble. And I remember, I remember first feeling disappointed and then having a word with myself and saying, OK, this is the Donmar Warehouse production. Look at the director you'll be working with. Um, you know, look at the team that you're going to be working with. Surely you, you, that's not a negative thing. And so I went, absolutely, I'll go out for it and ended up understudying Sarah Brown and Miss Adelaide, having the best time, one of the best times of my career was in that show. And then, yeah, like you say, I then got offered Sarah Brown on the tour and years later, a different production, I played Miss Adelaide. It's become my favourite musical. Um, and there was a reason to go into it and to understudy. And I learned so much. I'm the worst understudy. I'm the best understudy in that I will know what I'm doing. Like you can trust when I'm on stage with you, I'll know what I'm doing. But I'm such a panicker. So every morning I'll be waking up thinking almost, but this is a lot about me. Please don't ring me. Please don't ring me. I don't think I want to go on. But once I was on, I'd love it. But I was, wasn't one of those, God, will she just go off? Will she just lose her voice so I can get on? That wasn't me. I was a bit like, oh, can I do this? But um, yeah, that's, that was a great lesson for me. And I loved it. And I don't regret it for a second. And I never once 
saw it as a negative or disappointing thing. As soon as I'd got it, I realised that I was part of something wonderful and something really big mm. and something that was going to teach me some wonderful lessons. Did you ever have situations where you were like thrown on mid-show or at the last minute? Like, uh, did you freak out? Last minute. Yeah, I remember someone playing Miss Adelaide was in a lot of pain. I won't say who it was, but she had really bad... She ended up having root canal, but she was literally in agony and her face was swollen. And she was like, I don't... And she was apologising. She went... Because I hadn't been on by, at that point. <clears throat> she said, I just don't think I'm going to do it. I'm in such agony. And she was trying to go on. And I was like, right, it's time for you to step up and take away her guilt. And I just went, that's why I'm here. That is, this is why I'm here. This is why I've rehearsed. Why on earth are you putting yourself through this? I'm okay. She was like, but you haven't had much rehearsal. I was like, I'm okay. I know what I'm doing. Inside, I was going, oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, my God. <laughs> but you have to do that to your leading lady. You have to say, this is why I'm here. You shouldn't be putting yourself through this. There's nothing worse than, and I've had it where people have understudied me, and they're going, are you, you going to go off? And the panic. And you're like, well, I don't know, but, you know, my voice is going, uh, do you think you can get through the show? And there's nothing worse because you're thinking, no, 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 no. You took this job. You need to know what you're doing and you need to not be giving me this guilt as well. You need to just be stepping up and saying, it's cool. No matter what, I'm, I can go on. I'm ready. So mm. I was going to say, because then obviously you've been on the flip side of that scenario. So then, but exactly as you say, I guess as a leading lady, when you're playing a massive role, you need to know when it's time to go yeah. off and when it's not, when it's time not to perform tonight. It's important, yeah. right? It's hard, especially I'm. I used to be, I'm still pretty bad. I just didn't ever want to go off because I just felt like I was letting myself down, letting everyone else down. And so you push yourself to the point that you just do more damage and then you're off for a week because you're just destroyed. Um, so it's just, it's better to say, get a reality check. It is just a show. And the person who is rightly understudying that role is more than capable and is going to deliver a great performance. The audience are still going to love the show without you. Lose the ego, get off and come back when you're capable of <laughs> delivering a performance, a performance worthy of the ticket price. So that's what you have to step out of yourself a little bit and just lose the ego and just think it's not all about you, love. It's, you know, the show, the good of the show and all of that. <laughs> This weekend, I think it's in social media, it's like a classic Wicked cast change weekend. We just had Laura Pick and Sophie Evans play their last performances yesterday. We have Lucy Jones yeah. and Helen Wool coming back in, taking over tomorrow. Oh, like, does that bring back memories of you? What What do you remember of like those cast changes and of like leaving and having your first performances? Because I mean, you had you had several oh, in those yeah. Wicked days. I'll get rid of me, I'm like a bad smell. Oh, it's so <laughs> wonderful. And I'm so excited, um, you know, for Helen going back, but also for Lucy so excited for her she so deserves it and I just remember that feeling and it's so exciting slash terrifying and I just hope that lots of I'm pretty certain that every ex-alphabet will be messaging because we are like a sisterhood and just saying cut the rubbish in your head and just have the best time and just enjoy it and I don't know that she will, but yeah, I just, I do remember it really clearly. And just, I remember um, both as Glinda being up in the bubble and my heart like this, and also as Elphaba behind those doors and, or you just have to just take a big breath. Um, there's a lot of pressure on the shoulders of those two women who play those characters. And, but again, it's a show. It's meant to be joyful. It's meant to be enjoyable. They're epic roles to play, both of them. And you've just got to say, what if if I'm not going to enjoy this, what on earth am I doing it for? Um, 
and just go out there and give a great show. But I'm so excited for them. The first and the last nights are like, I mean, I just, I've never experienced anything like it. That energy from the audience. So supportive. It's going to be Those last shows. I think I was, I was at your last, your last Alphabet show was that. And it was crazy. And you were riffing with the gods and doing your best. Like, <laughs> but it's unnecessary <laughs> riffing. I went there. Oh, it, that night it was necessary. <laughs> That's what the people want. But is that pressure? Like, is that, or, or is it freeing? Because you're like, I don't need to do this eight times next week. It is. It's, um, it is freeing. And it's, you just think, sod it. You're just going to love every last minute. Um, I remember my last Glinda show. My, I felt, I came down in the bubble and the audience and the fans went so nuts that I got the biggest lump in my throat. And James Tracy, our conductor, just stopped the the band and just just sat back and let me have my moment. But it was so overwhelming that I thought, I'm not going to be able to squeak a word or a note. And I remember my voice just being, let us be glad. <laughs> let us just really quivering because it was truly the most overwhelming, wonderful experience to feel that that love and that warmth from the audience. It was just gorgeous. Um, and once that opening section was done, you could just take a little breath and get into the show and just enjoy it. It's really special. It's like I say, there is nothing like it. When both women um, enter the stage tomorrow, it is tomorrow, isn't it? They're opening. Yeah, tomorrow. Yeah. yeah. It's going to be wild. Mm. Wild. Mm. It's exciting. I was just scrolling through your Instagram and I love that you did the, um, oh, the Die Alone challenge because that is that is a Louise Dearman <laughs> creation. Tell me about this Die Alone. So in, in No More's The Wicked, you belted out Die Alone. And that was like a different choice that people hadn't seen before. Everyone's obsessed with it. It's like ingrained in Wicked history. I've had listened to podcasts with all sorts of people where it's been mentioned and it's popped ah. up. So was that... Talk, talk me through that tour. Was that a choice? Was that natural? Like, when did you realise that everyone was obsessed with it? Talk me through it. Uh, I don't really remember it. And I honestly, until recently, I didn't know it was a thing. Somebody, a friend of mine sent me a clip of somebody in the US actually talking about it and doing a bit of a vocal coaching session of how to do it. And I was like, this is nuts. And then that, that Louise Dearman challenge, the Glinda challenge came out. I think what happened was... Um, Steve Remus, who is our, our vocal uh, supervisor, musical super supervisor, um, he I remember him saying to me, I feel you wanting to go somewhere with that, and I'm saying that you can. He said, because if you look at the lyric and you look at the story, it would make sense for that to just kind of explode out of you. And it wasn't about, oh, yeah, let's just do a big belty note for the sake of it it's the wicked die alone it's like it has meaning with everything that she knows or rather doesn't know so yeah it just came out and then it was really weird because once he'd kind of given me permission to go there I just went there and I was like yeah she's got a belt but it's really lovely and really interesting I mean I'm sure some people absolutely hate it but hey (laughs) listen you want yeah you want like that's you'll put your mark on on wicked history like (laughs) tell me about where you're kind of at now I think I listened to a really interesting podcast you did with a good enough mums club yeah and for that project and that was so exciting like that show and that everyone involved was lots of new mums and it was super amazing to hear about the way that that was embraced and how you were working and on that podcast everyone should listen to it you would 
telling stories about going to work and if Willow suddenly your your child minder fell through and you had to yeah. take her to check rehearsals and yeah. and I was, I've done a few interviews recently like Rachel Wooding, Jalenga Scott, just people talking about you know working and being a mum and yeah. that balancing act and in, in some ways producers don't do enough to make it easy but also it can make you kind of centered and choose carefully the kind of work you want to do and it's kind of empowering in a way so like where where are you at now and and are you kind of settled into that way of working or is there still frustrations and still more that you want to see producers doing there's definitely more that can be done um uh, for me I remember when Willow was Willow's four now um about four and a half and when she was a baby I found myself apologizing an awful lot you know, if somebody called me last minute to do this thing and I'd say, oh, I'm so sorry, I've got a kid and I can't, I don't think I'm going to have time to find childcare. And, and I'm over that now. I'm not apologising for being a mother because I will do my job to the best of my ability. <clears throat> but I just need a little bit more time to organise things. And like you say, I went to um, a rehearsal for Magic at the Musicals, uh, Magic FM's concert at the Royal Albert Hall. My friend was supposed to be looking after her for me in the morning, <clears throat> contacted me that morning and said, I'm so sorry, I can't do it. I've had an audition come in and it was just too late notice. And I thought I just literally strapped Willow to my front and I got on the train and I was feeling nervous and I was thinking, what am I going to do? I'm walking into rehearsal with a baby attached to me. And then I just thought, well, what of it? I'm just going to walk in. I'm just going to say, I'm so sorry. Someone let me down, but I'm not going to let you down. So I stood with my hands on her ears and I rehearsed The Wizard and I and Define Gravity. And um, brilliant, she stayed asleep for the whole thing. And Andrew Wyke, the producer, was just wonderful and said, oh my goodness, please come in. Do you want me to take her outside while you rehearse? I was like, well, she's asleep now. Just so supportive and so understanding, you know, being a father himself. And there are many... Many people, Paul Taylor Mills is a very supportive and understanding producer. He's said many times, can I sort childcare at the venue for you so that you can come in and do it? So it's it doesn't mean that we're not capable of doing our job. It just means that we have a child and we should not have to apologise for that. And if the producers help to make it a bit easier so that we don't feel guilt or pressure, we will do the job even better. Um, and also with the whole job sharing thing, I know we started to get somewhere with it and it's kind of disappeared a bit. But I know so many mothers who that would be an ideal scenario for. And then for me, I know I appreciate it's extra work for everybody. But to split the role means that you're less likely to have your leading lady off because it's less work. It's less pressure. It's less vocally demanding, etc. Um we understand that it would mean less money for us, but then we are free to take care of our families, etc. And the other times, um, I think it's a smashing idea. And also, do you not feel like the audience and the fans would love that to have these weeks split where you get two leading ladies or leading men fathers who would be sharing the role? I think that would be wonderful and so exciting. Um, mm. But I think we've got a little way to go with that. But yeah, there are many positives, many positives. Um, but uh, sometimes you do just feel the panic and the guilt. I was asked for a very, to do a quite last minute photo shoot for something and it just hadn't given me enough time to find childcare. And I just had to say, I cannot do it. We have to schedule another day. 
and it was quite empowering to say I just can't I don't know what to say I can't do it but give me a bit more time and I will be there 100% for as long as you want me um yeah it's pressure but I wouldn't change it for the world I've always wanted to be a mum and she's my priority at the end of the day amen absolutely yeah and you do become like you said you do become a bit more picky but I think that's a good thing and I'm also at an age now where I have the best of both worlds I still get called in for musicals and I have to judge it and say I have to really want this because to do eight shows a week of this and not put her to bed for six nights of the week I have to be really sure which is a great thing because it means if I'm committed I'm committed Mm. I've got a brilliant concert career so Exactly. I, well, that is a massive, massive thing. And it's it's an incredible place to get to. I think a lot of people kind of see the, the concert work and like, oh, I lost a bit of that. But I guess it, it's, it's hustling. It's it's hard. But it's incredible the different material you're getting to do and the places you're getting to go to, but also the freedom you're able to get. From exactly. That. It's all those things. And I absolutely love it. And I'm so, so grateful for it. It means that, yeah, I may have a super busy month like February is nuts for me. Then it calms down a little bit in in March, and then it picks up again. So, it gives me space to breathe. And I think I think early on your, in your career, your your the, the idea is you have to say yes to everything and do yeah. all these different things, even if it means you're not making any money and you're working crazy hours and having to do outrageous things. But actually, there does come a point when you have to learn this little word called no, yeah, and, and when to terrible. use it. And it's scary, isn't it? I mean, we've been talking about it the whole way through, basically. But actually, it's it's really important when you get to yeah. a certain place to use it. It really is. And it's not about being a diva. And it's not about being greedy. And it's not about being, um, uh, what's the word? Um, uh, Selfish? I'm, or, I'm grateful. Know. It's yeah, none of yeah, those yeah. things. It's about thinking: How will this is is this is this worth it for my my mental health? Is this worth it for my family life? Um, am I committed? That is the biggest thing. If you feel like before you've even got to the job, you're wishing you'd never taken it. Why on earth would you take it? Because that is just a big old dark cloud hanging over your head and you and the head, you know, the whole cast of you moaning that you're there. Not that I ever would do that. But, you know, I just think you go into something with a positive attitude. You've said yes to the job. You've committed to it. So you throw yourself all in. And I think, yeah. that, you know, unless if I say no to something, it just means it's just not sitting quite right with my work-life balance. That is mm. really it. Mm. So obviously everyone needs to get those tickets for Mimmer, yes. 28th of February, Cadogan Hall. What else is coming up? We've got concerts, you're doing concerts with like Carrie Ellis, concerts with yeah. Oliver Thompson. You're like, oh, yeah. you get all, all your favourite castmates. Like, Let's do a show. But well, this is the thing. I, I'm like duet Dearman, but I just yeah. love working with my friends. And when my mates approach me and say, I know you did that with that person last month, but do you want to do this? I'm like, hell yeah. It can be lonely up there on your own. Doing all these things on your own. It's lonely. I want to have bants I want to like chat with my mates I want to sit and listen to them dancing that's what I want so yeah I've got I did a beautiful um a beautiful concert with the BBC Concert Orchestra this month um which is out in April to celebrate Barbara Streisand's 80th birthday I'm sorry what um incredible getting to sing all the Streisand songs with Katie Birtle and Graham Bickley that was incredible so that's coming out in April um, wonderful Sondheim concert I just did as well at the Birmingham Symphony. Yeah, mine and Kerry's tour um, going on, kicking off in February. And I know there's some dates uh, later on in the year as well. And Mima. Um, yeah, very exciting. Oliver, um, and Oliver Thompson concert, that's Oliver been like rescheduled. Thompson, 
Yeah, that's, that's your birthday. That's on my birthday. Because first of all, I was like, oh, working on my birthday. And I was like, oh my God, it'd be such a laugh. So we're doing that on the 13th of March. Um, I'm in with the Liverpool Philharmonic as well. Look I'm at in this. Belfast. I'm all over the place. I need to actually let people know what I'm doing because I'm really bad at that. <laughs> I just put videos of my daughter on on horseback instead of saying this is the concert I'm doing. Um, so I will get I will get better. But wait, you know how you love a concept for your albums? Like all your all your albums have a different kind of concept, and they're all genius. I feel like Duets Demon could be the next concept. You joke, but Oliver Thompson and I were chatting, and we were laughing about this. But afterwards, I went this is actually a thing, you know. I said, why don't we do a duets album and we'll call it Rejections, which sounds really deep and meaningful, but it's just us singing all the roles that we never got. <laughs> I was like, I am down for this. I oh my God, can you, give me, can you give me one? Can you give me one? What's a role that you've never got that um, would be on that album? Oh, I, definitely Jenna in Waitress. Didn't get that one. Oh, listen, there's millions. Trust you know, Roxy in Chicago, Fontaine in Les Mis went up for that for years. Um, and I'm never ashamed to say I didn't get a role. So I'm like, listen, somebody else did it and was wonderful. Um, but there are lots. But um, I think that would be... So... Oh, oh, yeah. I just want, yeah, duets, demon, the album. Duets, dim, demons, duets. Du- demons, duets, yeah. And then you've got a, con- you've got a concert concept in there as well. It can go on the because show. yeah, you need a concert. It's my favorite. What's my, one of my favorite things about you is that every album is a concept. Yeah. There's always like there's a good like PR spin behind it. There's plenty to talk about. Like Maybe you are always ready. There's all yeah. the musical theater one. There's all the pop one. There's all, yeah. There's yeah. Then it's like the combination of there's like the rework version, the MT stuff. There's like yeah. There's always a concept. <laughs> That's what we like. <laughs> I can't just be like, what song do you fancy singing? I'm like, yeah. oh gosh, we'll be it. Oh, you like Madonna, like always reinventing, like always yeah. got something new. That's what we do. I'll do a punk album or something. <laughs> yeah, the Louis, the Demon House, like remixes. I am going to do a Christmas album though. It very nearly happened this uh, last Christmas, but we'd just left it too late to kind of get it going. But that is happening. Great, yes. Have a little crimbo. I think it needs to be quite chill, quite kind of you know in the evening when you're absolutely stuffed and rolling around on your sofa. I will sit oh, yeah. and soothe you while you're finishing off your mulled wine. I'm ready. I mean, I know it's only January still, but... Why are we talking about Christmas? What are we doing? But Well, no, I'm excited now. Listen, thank you so much thank for kicking you. off your morning with me. What a pleasure to speak to you. Good luck with everything. And, um, yeah, I can't wait to see you soon. See you very soon. Lots of love. You can see Louise in Mimmer the Musical at Cadogan Hall on Monday the 28th of February. Just visit the Cadogan Hall website to grab your tickets. Thank you so much to Louise for taking time out of a day to record this episode of In The Frame. It was so much fun, just so great, so lovely, so funny. And um, she always has lots of exciting things in the pipeline. So stay tuned in her socials for 
news and concerts appearance galore. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure you hit that subscribe or follow button. You can also leave the podcast a little rating and review on Apple. We love hearing from you, so follow West End Frame on Twitter, on Instagram, and on Facebook. Uh, and check out our other podcast, The West End Frame Show, for your weekly stage catch-up. We're kicking off a new season on Tuesday with a big catch-up episode about all the shows that have been opening at the end of December throughout January and so far this month um, so make sure you go and check that out um, and I'll be back next Friday for a brand new episode of In The Frame with an absolute dream of a guest but until then thank you for listening thank you